Good morning, Hope Covenant Church. Good morning. morning. Hey, all right. You guys have been sitting a little while. Why don't you stand up for just a second here? Stretch. You know, rub your. Seriously, no, I mean it. Come on, stand up. Um, I'm going to do a little quick video. And I want you guys to say, We love you, Pastor Paul. And I'll send this to him in a little bit. I'm going to say it long and long and loud because I got a pan, right? Ready? So, here, take that light down a little bit because it's giving me some glare. Sorry. All right, get the beautiful people in here. One, two, we love you, Pastor Paul. One, two, three. We love you, Pastor Paul. Woohoo! Yeah. All right, we'll send that off to him. You may be seated. Hopefully, they got the blood flowing. You won't fall asleep for at least five more minutes in the sermon. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Heidi and I were traveling. We were uh, out of town, um, escaping the heat uh, in Minnesota, which is uh, home, and I uh, got the chance to speak at my home church up there and um, some other stuff, and so it was really good. In case you've noticed, we only did one song up, up, up front. Uh, we're changing it up a little bit. We're saving our, our time of singing through worship to follow the message for reasons that I think will become apparent uh, shortly as a response to where we are in the text and in the story. And we're in uh, the book of Acts is where our series is right now. And last week we did chapter 15. So this week in chapter 16, I just pulled something that really stood out to me. And um, so that's, that's where we're going to go. So let's pray. God, for ears to hear, for eyes to see. And hearts to trust that you, Jesus, are so, so good. Amen? Amen. All right, so what happened in the book of Acts, chapter 15, where we last left our story, there was a big council that was called where uh, the disciples and apostles and other followers came together to clarify some important things about following Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And particularly, if you were an outsider, if you were not growing up in that Jewish faith, if you were an outsider, what did it mean for you to follow Jesus? And there were a group of folks who were trying to say, hey, no, you had to follow all the laws of Moses and the customs and basically be Jewish plus uh, add Jesus on. That's what you had to do. And thankfully, the apostles, the teachers, the leaders stood up loudly together and said, no, it is through grace and grace alone. It is through grace that you are saved. And they had this fight uh, about it, and they stood up loudly to stand on the side of Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. So then Paul and, and, and some of his guys, they take off to go deliver the good news to the Gentiles, um, which was good news, and they were sent on with thanks. And if you keep reading through the story, eventually, chapter 16 here, uh, the first convert in Europe was a, a woman named Lydia, and that kind of kicks off their next adventure with God. And so the summary of where we're at right here in the story is Paul and Silas, who, by the way, were real people like you and me, they are in this city of Philippi. And Lydia has become a believer, and now they're going around the town, and they are preaching about Jesus. Now, one of the amazing things that happens while they're in Philippi, it, it, God does this thing through them where a slave girl gets delivered from an evil spirit. Now, you would think that because of this happening, there'd be this outpouring of gratitude and joy because of their ministry of deliverance, but 
uh, there's not. In fact, the owners of this slave girl were exploiting her, and the owners are now upset because they're going to lose the money that they had been making off of her fortune-telling. So that's where we are in the story, Acts chapter 16, verse 22. These men have Paul and Silas arrested, and then it says, verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Like, how would you have responded at this point? Like, what, what would be going through your mind? I mean, I mean, think about this. You give up comfort, home, financial security, and everything else to serve God. And the result is you're attacked by greedy con men. You're arrested on trumped-up charges. You're denied your rights. You're beaten. You're placed in jail. Like, I'm thinking about this. You know, what would my thoughts be? You know, what thoughts would be running through my mind at this time? And, and I can tell you this. If that was me that that happened to... At minimum, at very minimum, I'm going to be pretty frustrated, and probably frustrated with God, at minimum, at minimum. Now look at this next part, verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas, think of this, they're beaten and they're bloodied and in jail, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and then I think this is a great comment here. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And I'm like, like they had any alternatives, right? <laughs> you know? There were no other channels in that prison. It's all praise all the time. That's all they got. Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Next slide. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped, right? So the jailer here, right, he's ready to kill himself. And Paul doesn't say, hey, well, pal, listen, I guess next time you'll have to think twice about persecuting Christians, right? He doesn't say that. Verse 28, Paul shouted to him, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, this whole story here, I think, is miraculous. But the thing that jumped out at me was, was this. Paul and Silas knew that in spite of their circumstances, in spite of being treated unjustly, in the middle of that, they knew that God is worthy to be worshipped. And so they drew near to him. And by the way, God showed up in a really big way. Now, oftentimes when I study and I start writing a message, I look at all this stuff in the passage, especially when it's a whole chapter like this, and I'm like, 
wow, there's so much here. There's so many big things going on in this whole chapter. Um, but we just don't have time to get into much of it. So there's just one thing that I want to focus on in our time together this morning. See, what caught my attention was almost an easy scenario to kind of cruise right past. What caught my attention was Paul and Silas worshiping in the middle of great suffering. I mean, there's other stuff, cool, right? There's, there's the miracle earthquake, there's the salvation of the jailer, there's, if we keep reading, there's vindication and an apology from these magistrates who had beaten them. That's all really cool stuff, but we're just going to focus on this worship element, which is going to lead us into our time of worship this morning. So let's just kind of back the truck up here and think about how this whole thing even started. The, the whole episode here starts because Paul casts a demon out of a slave girl. The slave girl gets freed, which is a direct result of the price that they are now paying as they've been beaten and jailed. Her owners had hauled Paul and Sai in front of the magistrates. And magistrates, um, they were like governors, and in Roman colonies like Philippi, there were also these guys called lictors. There's a picture uh, of what the lictors look like. That kind of looks a little bit like uh, Evan without glasses, don't you think? Maybe. I don't know. Okay, sorry. Maybe he's a modeling career. I don't know. All right, so obviously the lictors here, their job was to, of course, lick the boots of the magistrates, right? No, just kidding. Okay. I thought that would be funny, but... <clears throat> Maybe I'll still try it second service. Their job, they had kind of two jobs. One was to serve as bodyguards for the magistrates. And the second job was to carry out any punishments that were ordered by the magistrates. So as in beatings and executions. And so if you can see there, the lictors carried with them a bundle of rods. And it's hard to see on his head, but there's also an axe right there. And so if there was just a beating to administer, they'd take the axe out, put it down, and they'd proceed to beat people with the rods. So picture some guys here that are pretty tough guys, right? And, then, and in order to have this job, you have to be very, very good at your job. And these are the men that beat Paul and Silas. Verse 22, their robes were ripped off of them. So there they stood, Paul and Silas, naked, humiliated, no longer any kind of protection whatsoever when the beatings would begin using this bundle of rods. I mean, just try to even enter into and picture this story. Verse 23 says, many blows. Some of your translations say, strikes without measure. I mean, it really is hard to picture. And historically, what we know is that in addition to Paul and Silas's backs and legs being reduced to a horrible bloody pulp, it was common for beatings like the one they received to result in internal uh, bleeding, injuries to internal organs. It was common for there to be broken vertebrae, broken ribs, sometimes even death. And the beating in whatever condition they were in, but broken bones, internal injuries, we don't know. After that beating, they were taken to the jailer who placed them into the inner prison and into stocks. So again, let's keep imagining this, the inner prison. Um, I picture it's far from light, far from any kind of air that is even breathable. It's heavy, it's damp, it's hot. The kinds of smells in those prisons on a good day 
would make me wretch. And there they are, far from any kind of freedom of any kind. They sat with and they sat in mice and rats, dead and alive, human waste, including their own. Archaeological digs reveal that the kind of stocks that they were placed in were probably not the kind of stocks that we would think of from European and American history where there's, you know, arms and legs. What they would do is there was a series of holes that would be progressively wider. They'd put their legs into them, and they would keep putting them out until cramping would develop. See, Romans had a particular talent and, and had a knack for inflicting pain and so once the legs were way out and they began to cramp, that's where they would clamp the legs. Sleep would not come this night. Sleep could not come this night. Maybe from time to time in the middle of the night, I imagine there was a, a gift of unconsciousness only to be rudely interrupted by the pain itself, every cut and wound screaming and lurching them back into this living nightmare. And in the middle of that, with no sleep coming, having already been there several hours, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and worshiping. Let's just stop right there. You know, what do you imagine that their prayers in that pain, pain, in that pain and in that place, what do you imagine their prayers sounded like? Yeah, yeah, God, where are you? Um, I'm, I guarantee you they probably weren't these kind of King Jamesy formal, stilted prayers that sounded religious. Um, I believe with all of my heart, in the agony of that prison, um, in their prayer, they brought their pain to God. I believe they brought their fear to God. I believe that they brought their doubt to God. And so the picture that I have is there they are with their legs cramping, they're twisting and turning, trying to keep their bleeding bodies from touching the filth. They're hunched forward, their heads are hung down, probably a mixture of blood and sweat dripping off their face. And I imagine as they began to pray... It was probably, especially at the beginning, nothing more than a mutter, nothing more than a groan. Maybe they could just say a word or two. Oh, God, help. Jesus, Jesus, help, help us. Be, be near. And I don't know. I can't really say for sure how it happened for Paul and Silas. But somewhere in their pain, their prayers turned to worship, and they began to sing to God. <laughs> and I kind of picture the singing, starting a little bit quiet, maybe a little off-key. You know, it's a couple of dudes, right? <laughs> but as it built and built, then suddenly the other prisoners in other areas of the jail were listening to them. And then verse 26, while they're worshiping, <laughs> what? The, the Spirit of God broke off the chains. I don't even think that's why they were worshiping, right? It broke off their chains. And I don't think that we can ignore this. Okay, there's power. And I don't always understand it. I will never fully comprehend it. But there is power, my sisters and brothers, when 
we worship God. I mean, what an amazing scene. What, what a story. But then, you know, as we back off the story, um, I've got questions, as I often do. And here's my question. Where, where did this song, where did this song that they have come from? How did they, in those circumstances, even begin to worship? Were they in denial? I mean, is that what they explain? You know, were they just, hey, let's, hey, listen, Silas, let's just whistle a happy tune. Maybe if we sing a happy song, the happy thoughts will come. Just name it, claim it, believe it, receive it, mark it, and park it. Come on. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, is that what they were doing? I, no, I don't think they were singing to convince themselves that we're not going to die. It's not that bad. Just think a happy thought. Or here's a, a phrase that some churchy people say that drives me nuts. Hey, just fake it till you make it. Which essentially means uh, lie and pretend, which doesn't honor God, does it? But is that what they're doing when they worship here? No. No, not at all. Because I believe that in worship, in this worship came uh, out of the most miraculous circumstances. It, be, it, it came, the worship came in their pain, not a denying of their pain at all. In fact, they were probably saying, I may die, and I will worship you, God, anyways. The power of their worship in this prison was not just that they worshiped, the power of their worship was more about the circumstances within which they worshipped. See, they worshipped within the context of having received a beating, having been placed in the inner prison with their feet in stocks, and the whole time they fully knew that other disciples, other followers of Jesus, had given their lives in the past years. And maybe this was the end of the line for them. Yet they worshipped. Now, I'm going to assume that um, when we here at Hope say what we say in our uh, vision statement, uh, that imperfect people belong. Um, that includes your, your pastors, your speakers, leaders too. Yes, is that? Can I get a vote on that real quick? Okay, it's a, I don't know if it's 50%, but. So here's the truth about me, okay? Uh, when I'm going through pain or confusion, when I'm simply tired or worn out, it's really hard for me to enter into worship. Um, if I've had a hard week or I'm feeling disconnected from God, or if I'm struggling with that same stupid sin again, it can be hard for me to enter into worship. Can anyone else here relate to that? Anyone? 30%. Okay, okay, okay. Um, don't worry, I wasn't going to ask you to say what your sin was. It's, it's okay. Yeah, that's just honest. I mean, it's honest for me because on the other hand, when my life is sailing along smoothly when my finances are set, when my son is doing well, when my wife and I are enjoying marital bliss, when I like my job, and when lots of people are slapping me on the back and telling me what a great guy I am, it's easy to sing loud and come in and worship, right? I remember years ago when I was working at another church, uh, a pastor, mentor, friend of mine named Dave Johnson, he was just being honest with us about, he noticed for him, when entering into worship, it really easily got shut down just by the smallest of setbacks or annoyances. And as he confessed that, I started thinking about myself, and I was thinking, wow, you know what, I do the same thing. Um, except, you know, at the time my job was on the worship staff at our church, um, 
and there's thousands of people that are coming every weekend to sing with us, I was like, man, I get distracted even easier than most people do. I'm like, oh, wow, you know what? Dang it, the band missed that transition, or oh, they played that song really slow, and who picked these songs? And oh, I don't, I don't like that song. Why can't the drummer pick a, a tempo and just stick with it? And, and oh, my goodness, that singer is so, so, so off. I think I better run back to the soundboard and tell the sound man to turn her volume down. I mean, Jesus himself couldn't worship in this setting right now. It's horrible. What's going on? And, and like, if you think I'm kidding, I mean, it's a good thing the sound man was a friend of mine, or he probably would have built, like, a, a booth with a locked door and wall around it just to keep me out of his hair. Because, uh, honestly, it doesn't take much to pull my focus off of Jesus when it comes time to just stop and pause and, and, and worship, even though it's not my job anymore. Honestly, I can easily get distracted from worshiping, especially if life isn't going really smoothly at this particular moment. Um, but the, the other thing that my friend Dave said next uh, really stuck with me. He said something like, you know, when it comes to worshiping, maybe more than I would like to admit, what I really worship, sometimes what we really worship, what we really worship are our happy feelings and our pleasant circumstances. What I have to admit, what I really worship is my happy feelings and pleasant circumstances. Me too. And I hope you don't hear me wagging my finger because I'm coming out of my own honesty and repentance around this stuff. I've got a lot of room to mature and grow in the realm of worship. See, because as we look at, at Scripture or we look at our own lives or the lives of other followers of Jesus, we do get this picture that, that, that worship is possible even in the face of desperate darkness and utter confusion. Has anyone here ever been in such a dark, desperate hole that the only place you could even begin to taste a little bit of peace or comfort that comes with God's presence was in a time of worship? Anybody here? See, when I uh, last spoke here in July, I told you part of my story. And part of going through divorce, and I was remembering a part of that whole process um, as I was... Uh, going through this talk this week. It was near the end of 2010, and I had just spent about 20000 plus for five months of intensive counseling, temporarily moving back home to Minnesota in an effort to uh, save my marriage and family. And despite an excellent world-class counselor, it became very clear that it wasn't going to happen. It's not what I wanted, not what I was choosing, but that was the reality of my situation. My marriage was ending. And especially in that season, I was fearful, anxious, often, often bordering on panic. <laughs> I was desperately trying to change something, fix something, hold on for a miracle. Um, I went through uh, divorce care, which is a great thing I recommend for anybody who's gone through divorce. Um, but we would sit and talk, and, and I'd hear from other people. And you know how some people, when they go through divorce, they're like, Oh, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, and I'd be like, you couldn't eat? <laughs> so obviously not my problem, right? Uh, you know, I'd talk to others who'd gone through divorce, they lost all this weight, and I'm like, yeah, nope, not me, baby, yeah. 
Um, I had a, a friend who, um, she's worked with me and she's from a, um, another country and had kind of a British accent and she's like, you're not that fat. <laughs> I'm like, and you're not that polite, thank you. So. But in that season, at first, my walk with God alternated between angry rants, which, by the way, is totally okay, and there's evidence for it all over the Psalms. God encourages us to pour out our anger. We don't shield and hide from him. He knows it's there. But my walk was these angry rants and desperate prayers for a miracle back and forth that something would happen to change a mind or soften a heart, anything to save my family. It was one of the most unsettling years of my life. I was like, how could this happen to us, to me? What about our family? What about my son? I can't imagine waking up without him in the house part of the time. How's this going to impact his life, his future, and, and what will my future hold? The two things that I love to do are to walk alongside people in community and to preach. And I was thinking, you know, now, even after I take time to heal, I'm going to be disqualified from 95% of churches. God, where are you? How can you let this happen? And I think it was nearly every night for well over a year that when I laid my head down on the pillow, thoughts racing, questions without answers pressing down on me, fear and anxiety and rejection flooding me, my soon-to-be ex-wife still often in the same house, that I would take out my phone and put on the music player, I would turn it to the lowest volume, I'd put my head down on top of it, and I would play uh, this song. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice I hold on to what is true Though I cannot see If the storms of life they come And the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free I am yours I am forever yours Mountain high or valley low I sing out, remind my soul That I am yours I am forever yours When my heart is still That truth right there The truth that I am yours Spoke peace to my heart It reminded me who I belong to it reminded me that I am fiercely loved and not rejected. And that simple worship often, not always, but often loosen the chains of fear and despair just a little bit. And more often than not, I was even asleep before the song was over. See, I didn't deny the pain. 
I'm not talking about ignoring the reality of our situations. Like, that was awful. But, but I did know that one thing would be helpful. I did know that I needed to worship. I needed to be reminded of who God is. And I look back on my life, and there have been many, many times where this has happened in various ways, how in worship the presence of God showed up, brought peace or strength or clarity. Because in worship, so often, God helps to adjust my perspective. And I'm not trying to offer us some sort of magic formula or gimmick to get us out of a painful situation. This is what I've seen over and over again through the pages of Scripture. It's what I've noticed over and over again in the lives of people who walk with God throughout history as they deal with difficulty. It's what I've seen over and over in the lives of the people around me. It's what I've experienced as well. Over and over, in my own journey, as I'm learning to walk with God, as he matures me and helps me to trust him no matter what I am facing. See, because although worship is about God, okay? It's not about me trying to get something from God. Worship is simply about God. But somehow, in worship, so often he does bring freedom or peace or, or a taste of Hope or a reminder that he is with us, that he is for us. So for Paul and Silas, for you and me, this invitation to enter into worship in spite of our circumstances, by the way, it's not a should, you should do this. No, 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 no. It's an invitation. And I think it begins when we are willing to step back from our problem and recognize and see there is more, right? There is more going on than we can see from our life and in our perspective. And that's not denying the issue or pretending it doesn't exist. See, see, when I'm overwhelmed with a problem right here, right, this is all I can see. It's right there. It's big. It's confusing. It's all absorbing. It's all I can see. And so this invitation to worship is not to put the problem someplace else and deny that it exists. This is an invitation to step back and see there is more. There is more. The problem's still there. <laughs> it's still scary. It's still a big deal. But there's more going on. And when Paul... And Silas, or you and I, begin to worship, our perspective can change. God, I can recognize, I'm going to recognize, God, that you are God. Even in this pain, with no promise of release, there's a need for me to say out loud, this hurts, this is frightening, I feel alone, we may die before the sun rises in the morning. And in the middle of that, I need to say these words, you are God, and I am not and sometimes I hate that arrangement, but I'm going to make the choice to bow to you even in this. And as we step back, our problem is still there. Our situation didn't get fixed, but we start to see that there is more. And so friends, I think you know this already, but I want to say it. I'm not calling for us to deny our feelings and pretend everything's okay and just worship anyway. Here, here's, here's the question I ask me. Um, God, 
Can I, when I am sad, when I am mad, when I'm hurt and confused, in a bondage of some kind, either of someone else's making or maybe even my, my own, can I, when I'm imprisoned by something, can I still acknowledge that you are God? Worship team, will you come as we prepare to move into a time of worship? So for Paul and Silas, uh, like, how did it happen for them? Like, we don't know specifically, but what we do know is this. As they worshiped, the chains fell off. We do know that. Now, I want to make a little disclaimer here, but at the same time that I'm making the disclaimer, I want to be careful about the way I make the disclaimer because I don't want the disclaimer to pull away from the reality here, okay? Here's what I think the power is in this, that, that God does show up. But the disclaimer I want to make is, I don't want anyone to think that the worship is some sort of magic wand that we wave and make the chains fall off every time. Like every time you feel some sort of bondage, just start to worship and that's the magic formula. No, no, it's not. It's not. Nothing in the kingdom of God works like that. There are no magic formulas. It is always and only God. But, here's the disclaimer to the disclaimer, but, with that understood, let me say this with everything I've got. Here's the truth. There is power when we worship. If you're by yourself and you choose to praise and acknowledge God, there's power in that. But also, when I don't fully understand it all, when God's people come together, when God's people in this little room come together, there comes into our corporate gathering a power. And I believe that while we worship that hearts are opened. And while we worship, the demonic forces are forced to flee and leave our presence. And the Spirit of God is free to do His work. And I believe that while we worship, chains often do fall off. And regardless of circumstance, or the miracle or no miracle, worship changes us. It changes our heart, changes our perspective. It helps us to see more. So I'm going to invite you to stand with us. And what I want you to do is to imagine you are holding in your hand that thing. <laughs> that thing in front of you, the struggle, um, the cancer, the addiction, the despair, the broken relationship. Hold it in front of you, right? And then open your hand. Maybe even hold it up to Jesus as we worship. And let's ask Jesus to help us step back and see that there is more. God, help us see more. God, help us to see more. Help us to see you, to trust you, to remind us of what we forget, that you are God, you are good, and you love us completely and utterly without condition. And dare I pray, along with the story we looked at today, Jesus, in your name, we ask you to break every chain, even as we fix our eyes on you in our time of worship now.